0: Hi, I'm Liza, and I've been reading tarot professionally for well over a decade, and this is Tarot for the Modern Reader, the podcast that will teach you simple, actionable techniques to read the cards with more clarity, accuracy, and ease, so you can get real answers to real questions for real people, including yourself, in today's modern world. Whether your readings are for guidance or prediction, I'll help you 86 the doubt and confusion and take your skills and confidence to the next level so you can become the best tarot reader you know. This is Tarot for the Modern Reader. Hello and welcome to the Tarot for the Modern Reader podcast. I'm your host, Liza, and this is episode number 24 Gemini Season with the Lovers and the Magician. Now, this episode was actually scheduled to come out last season, but life happens and here we are. So, I decided to go ahead and release it ahead of today's scheduled episode, anyway, about Cancer Season, because honestly, I am such a sucker for order and I just couldn't stand the idea of missing a season in the lineup. So we're going to take a look at what the energy of Gemini season typically brings and what cards or card suits most likely come up at that time and how that leads us into cancer season. So Gemini season leads us into a season of air energy. Air is the element that rules over Gemini, Libra and Aquarius. Our air signs are usually not the most emotional of the bunch. That's usually left to our water signs, including the one following Gemini, which is Cancer. But Gemini in our season of air does usher in a lot of activity, particularly mental activity, since the air element is associated with the suit of swords. When Gemini season rolls around, the energy of the season changes from a bit heavy, not in a bad way, but just heavy because it's represented by the heavy, uh, earthy sign of Taurus and the Pentacles and the Empress and the Hierophant in our deck to a light and fast moving energy, which is air. So what should we expect to see in our readings? Well, first, let's talk about the Magician. So the magician is ruled by the planet of Mercury. As we've discussed in the past, there are 22 major arcana cards, and there are 12 signs and 10 celestial bodies in our solar system that we attribute to these cards. So this is gonna make a nice matchup for us, right? Now, of course, it doesn't take a mathematician or a math magician, to know that it would take 24 signs and celestial bodies if each body ruled only one sign. So in our cosmic world, as it stands right now, we have two planets that each rule two signs. One of them we discussed back in Taurus season, and that was Venus, as she rules uh, both Taurus and Libra. And then the other one is Mercury, and we're going to discuss that today. So Mercury rules the sign of Gemini, and it also rules the sign of Virgo. So we might talk about him again in Virgo season in relation to his aspects of organization and swiftness and tidiness and order and all things analytical, because Mercury loves a good spreadsheet just as much as I do. (laughs) But today we're going to talk about Mercury in his aspect of the magician, and there is so much to be said for this. So Mercury has always been tied to the archetype of the magician. Here we are with my expression that metaphysical systems do not exist in a vacuum. Again, <laughs> Mercury has been known through our time as many names. He carries the name Mercury from the Greek and Roman area era. era. And he's also known as Hermes because in Greek and Roman culture, although they shared most of the same gods, they had different names for them and sometimes slightly different descriptions of them, but mostly the same. So Mercury was considered the winged messenger of the gods. He had wings on his sandals and he could fly. This is certainly a very fitting um, symbolism for an air sign. And in all reality, considering he was a messenger, that in it of itself is actually very fitting as well, particularly for the sign of Gemini, because not only are air signs our communication signs, but Gemini more so than the other. So naturally, Mercury is a good fit here. But he was also so much more than just that. He is considered the God most closely aligned with magic. In even older times, he was known as Thoth or Thoth, depending on how you say it. And truly, I do not know which way you say it because there is so much debate in the uh, spiritual community. So I will pronounce it as Thoth, but you can uh, take that however you like to pronounce it. And he was also known as the Great Magician. So this is going all the way back to the Egyptian times. We talked about him when we talked about the star card in a previous episode, if you remember that one. Um, And to be honest, I'm not sure it might have been about when we talked about the symbolism of animals in the card. So I'll have to go back and take a look. But if you are interested in um, reading or listening, I'm sorry, to that and um, hearing more about him in that aspect, you certainly could. Uh, but in any event, he he is associated with magic, and that's because of his association with Aquarius, which is a fellow air sign. The great magician who is discussed at length in some of our oldest texts on magic is named Hermes Trismegistus, and he is considered a combination of the Greek god Hermes and the ancient Egyptian god Thoth, who founded the phys- uh, philosophical system that we know today as Hermeticism. So when Gemini season rolls around, magic is definitely in the air. Now, I truly believe we can accomplish our greatest work and achieve the greatest results in our work when we are working with the season of life that we are in. I know you guys have probably heard me say this like a thousand times, but it's just like, one of the core beliefs to my nature, so you're probably just gonna hear me say it forever. (laughs) But the energetic season that we're in, you know, carries so much unseen energy, yet it's the undercurrent of our lives. So when we're in the season of Gemini, I think we find ourselves seeing more of the magician card in our readings. And when you look at the magician card, you see the tools that he has on his table representing the four elements that he has dominion over and he works with to make magic. Because really, what is magic then? It's a way of manipulating the elements of energies and directing them at will. And on that note, the card of the magician really amplifies the energy of the will. The Magician card is a very Yang energy. It's not a Yin or a receptive energy at all. In the Magician, we're making things happen. It's not just that it's a Yang time and there are a lot of things happening, but specifically that we are the ones who are making them happen. It's a direction of the will. So these things are happening due to our will, and we are the ones that are directing and shaping how these things are happening for us. We are the magician, creating the flow and the direction of how things are going. And in Gemini season, this is very, to do, very easy to do because we're in tune with that swift moving air energy. We are in alignment with that energy, just as Hermes is, which can carry out magic very swiftly out into the world. So if you're seeing more of the magician card in your readings this time of year, it's a sign for you to get out and make some magic. What is it that you want to do? It doesn't have to be this huge, big, grand thing, whatever it is. Now is the time that you have the power of the cosmos behind you to put action to your goals because the universe is supporting you in getting them out there. So when you see the magician card in your readings during this time of year, it's a good opportunity to ask yourself what the universe is asking you to make happen right now. This is a time that we really are set up to advance the things that are important to us. The Magician comes very, very, very early in the deck. It's actually card number one, you know, right after the Fool, which being numbered zero, has multiple placements in the deck and really is considered, you know, the archetype that moves through the rest of the cards, experiencing the others um, as they come along. So like the Fool's Journey, I'm sure, Um, Everyone listening to this right now has heard of The Fool's Journey. If you're a tarot reader, The Fool's Journey refers to the stages of life that we go through as we move through all of the different archetypes in the deck. And the archetypes are in sequential order, you know, for a reason. It's not just that they're numbered one through 22. It's that each one is to build upon the previous one and this is another another um, example of how working seasonally brings us back to that core nature of all metaphysical systems that everything we do is related to the season that we're in and each season builds upon the last one you know if you're a gardener you don't plant your seeds before you plow the land And I know it's like not even gardening season. And here I am with the gardening references, but I can't help it. So you get what I'm saying, right? So right now, when we are in the season of the magician, we are in such an early season of our journey. You know, this is the point in the journey where the energy is asking you, what do you want? What do you want to do? What do you want to have or be or make happen? Because whatever it is, you can have that. You can have anything you want. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the direction of energy. And all of these things are represented in the magician card. And they are all things that are under your control. So I hope that if you get the magician card in a reading this time of year, that truly you take it very seriously. And to be fair, I feel like it should be taken seriously at all times. But really, like when you are in alignment with that seasonal energy, you know, that's really an indication that the universe is behind you and whatever it is that you're trying to bring to fruition. Okay, so enough about the magician. Let's change gears now and talk about the lovers. So the Lover's card is ruled by the sign of Gemini itself, and it truly is a perfect representation of the duality Gemini represents. Now, anything related to the sign of Gemini always comes back to the theme of duality and often choice. So as a tarot reader, you may have been taught that the Lover's card represents love, relationships, relationships that are truly meant to be, divine partnership or union, and much of this is true but this is really just scratching the surface of this card. At its essence, this card is about duality and choice. So for starters, let's talk about duality. The duality represented in this card is the duality and merging of the divine feminine and the divine masculine. These are true opposites, completely dualistic in nature, yet merging together in union. We also have the element of choice represented here, because as we all know, duality itself represents the concept of two different and opposing things, just like the sign of Gemini itself does. Now the duality you see in this card can change based on the rendition of the card or the time period of the creation of the card deck you're using. So in older versions of this card, you see a man choosing between two women, one light-haired and fair-skinned and the other one dark. He must make a choice. There's so much more symbolism behind that, like the the greater of all good and evil and All such things you know this is all represented in this card and the choices that must be made but in some renditions you see today you see two people on the card a man and a woman so not three in the previous versions you would see three people on the card a man and two women but in today's versions you see a man and a woman and then an angel presiding over them so there are still three figures on the card but the nature of the figures has changed So there are trees in the card and the tree behind the man appears to be made of leaves of fire, which is actually quite masculine in nature. Fire is a yang energy. It's a masculine energy, just like um, the air sign. So you probably know fire and air are masculine yang energy and earth and water are the um, feminine or the yin energy. So the trees behind the man are this, you know, fire energy, very masculine. And then the tree behind the woman appears to be a lush, leafy green bearing round red fruit, quite feminine in nature. And then there's also a serpent entwined around this tree. So this can be seen as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And in this rendition, we still see the element of choice. However, now we're actually seeing a different type of choice. The choice is Eve's. Will she choose Adam and to stay in the dark? Or will she choose the knowledge that the serpent represents and offers her? The serpent is not only a symbol of wisdom, but it's also a symbol of the divine feminine. So as we can see, this card not only represents the concept of the divine union of the masculine and feminine, but also the element of choice. Now, fun little fact. Did you know that before Adam and Eve, there was actually Adam and Lilith? Lilith was quite powerful in her own right as the divine feminine rightfully is, and refused to be lesser to a man and considered herself an equal to Adam. Naturally, this caused her to be cast out and replaced by a, hopefully, more submissive female instead. However, we all know how that worked out. (laughs) So what does this card mean in modern times? Well, if you're doing a relationship reading or the aspect of the card that relates to the divine relationship status is applicable in your reading, then that may be the interpretation for you. But many times when this card comes up in a reading, it's about making a choice. And often it's an important choice. This is a uh, major arcana card that we're talking about here. So, you know, these are things that are of importance. What you choose may be important. You know, the actual choice you have to make... May be important. There may be two things that, like, oh, it's really important, you know, that you make the right decision, or at least it feels that way. But it's also equally important to note that just as making a choice is a choice in and of itself, not making a choice is also a choice. And it can be just as important as the option you choose. No choice is a choice, and that often leads to stagnation. So It's not always just about which way you're going to go on something. This card indicates the need to make a choice to choose to go in a direction no matter which way you choose because stagnation is the opposite of what the busy air sign of Gemini wants to bring in. It's also important that we make these choices because as we will see in the next card, the chariot, we really need to be clear on our goal so that we can move full steam ahead with the energy of the chariot. Okay, so lastly, let's talk about the suit of swords. Now, swords is the suit associated with the air signs. So in this season, we're apt to see more of our air sign cards in general, they are arguably the most difficult minor arcana suit to contend with and honestly dealing in the realm of strife and conflict. This is not easy, um, along with the associations of communication, which tend to focus around the concepts of being logical rather than emotional, like that of our fellow water signs you know that will be coming next in our season of cancer. So Gemini is a mutable sign. So as such, it is considered flexible and adaptable type of energy. So it's no surprise that the three cards in the suit of swords that it is associated with are the eight, the nine, and the 10 of swords, which by the way, each sign is associated with three minor arcana cards of the same element between numbers two and 10, As which the sign belongs. So in this case, um, all of our air sign, um, all of our air signs are associated with uh, the swords energy. And all three of those signs, Gemini, Libra, Aquarius, are associated with three of those swords cards between the numbers two and 10. So two, three, four, five, six, seven, 8, 9, 10. So 8, 9, and 10 are associated with Gemini. And that's because of the mutable nature of the end of a sign. So again, Gemini is a mutable sign. It's adaptable and flexible. So the mutable nature comes at the end of a sign because, for example, in this case, and really all of them, The 10 sees us fully completing a cycle and transitioning to a new beginning again. A nine is really like the culmination of the suit where we have, you know, reached the end or, you know, whatever that is supposed to be, the end of the journey. We have reached fruition. And in 10, we're kind of going above and beyond. Things may be a little bit out of control or just like this oversaturation in some ways. And in a lot of ways, it kind of, you know, brings us back around to the beginning again. So it's really like that um, degree of transition. So the final three cards of this suit can be considered some of the most difficult and truly painful cards of the deck. The eight and the nine, they can have us all worked up in our own mental games, which is really a very Gemini thing, being an air sign. I see the eight often as the idea that we are trapped, right? I mean, she she is, she's in the circle of swords in most cards and she's blindfolded. And from her vantage point in that moment, that very painful, difficult moment, she feels trapped. It's often that energy or that feeling that we don't have a choice. Although this is such a limiting belief because we nearly always have a choice. I think most often, and this would probably be a more accurate representation, in my opinion, of the situation. I think it often represents a situation where we don't have a good choice. What we don't have is the choice that we want. We have to choose between two equally sucky things and it hurts. It it, it sucks. It can be difficult. But again, making a choice, any choice, just doing something to get the energy moving and out of stagnation can be one of the most empowering things that we do. So we find ourselves in this similar energy in the nine, but it can be more anxiety producing. So instead of being stuck right in that moment, you know, you're in that mental um, anguish where you're just like replaying it over and over in your mind. And the choice that we're putting off making is becoming so severe that it's keeping us up at night or it causes us such extreme mental distress and again, Gemini is an air sign. So mental is a key theme with our air signs and Gemini, you know, in particular. Now, when we get to the 10, this can just be considered the worst card in the minor arcana, but It's also a turning point. I mean, you've seen how in the RWS deck, there is often so much black in this card, but yet you also see the yellow of the sun that is rising over the horizon. So there's our turning point moment. While it can be a very unpleasant experience, it also can be a crucial reset. This is your 10 energy. This is the transitioning back to a new beginning. So... It's like so many things where they say, This too shall pass, no matter how dark it feels in the moment, that it's always darkest right before dawn. That's the mutable nature of this card. Life is one big stage of duality. Everything that we see in our cards, everything that we see in the cosmos, like the number of times you guys have also heard me say that the magic follows the mundane and the mundane follows the magic because. There really is no such thing as a difference you know. in the two. They are as interlinked as peanut butter and jelly. I suppose if you like peanut butter and jelly, but you get where I'm going with this. So life is just this one big stage of duality. And this is a core principle truly of magic and reality. The principle of polarity, for example. All things are dualistic in nature. As above, so below. As within, so without feminine, masculine, black, white. The 10 of swords representing the last deacon or the last 10 degrees of Gemini is called the Lord of Ruin. Now, this takes us up to the very last day of Gemini season, at which point we enter cancer season. We enter a new deacon. So the, 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 First 10 days of the sign of Cancer, instead, and that is ruled by the Two of Cups. We're moving into Cancer, water sign, so now we are in the Cups cards, and that's ruled by the Two of Cups, which is called the Lord of Love, and that's considered a lesser but similar version of the Lover's card. So I think that's really beautiful that. It really is this idea that this too shall pass, that even in our darkest moments, there truly is that transition coming and something great on the other side. So we will discuss that card, the two of cups and, you know, all of those associations in the next episode when we talk about cancer season. So I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Tarot for the Modern Reader podcast and maybe even learned something new for your tarot practice. I'm so excited to be back in your ears and your earbuds and just can't wait to share more with you. Next up, we have a deep dive into the sign of Cancer and its corresponding cards. And then after that, we'll be moving into Leo season, which I absolutely love. So I have loved sharing so far this series on tarot and astrology and how the cards and the signs and the planets and all of these bodies go together. And I'd like to hear what else you guys would like to hear more about. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now.